0: Hi guys, welcome to the final episode of the Smurfit Speaker Series for this semester. Today we are lucky enough to be joined by Julie Cinnamon. Julie is the current CEO of Enterprise Ireland and we dig into the challenges of managing such a large organisation, the importance of SMEs in Ireland and some of the options in entrepreneurship for graduates moving forward. I got a lot out of this episode personally and I think you will too. But I might just kick off if you could, uh, if you could kick off by maybe bringing us back to your youth and and telling us a little bit about your background, where you're from. I understand uh, you were part of a family business when you were younger, um, so if right. you could uh, give us a bit of a background, maybe.
1: Okay, so as the accent might suggest, uh, I'm not from Dublin. Uh, I'm from County Down, uh, and uh, with family business, I'm one of thirteen children. So, I was number seven, the seventh daughter, and a large family and we had a family business. we were in the poultry business, and we were uh, in uh, we uh, shops and petrol stations etc and uh, my six older sisters all went off and became teachers and I was always really interested in business so I uh, studied business studies uh, with uh, specializing in finance and i Uh, I I did a degree in Ulster University, you spent your third year in in uh, an internship, and I came to Dublin. I worked in a bank in Stevens Green, First National Bank of Chicago, and it was set up to to support the multinationals in Dublin or in Ireland, and I was just amazed at the number of uh, multinationals here. It was a pretty poor time in the north. Uh, we had DeLarion, if any of you have ever heard of the DeLarian car, which had wings that opened up. Um, and, you know, it really had very little foreign direct investment. So I ended up doing a thesis when I went back from my final year of, uh, of university on foreign direct investment decisions, comparing Northern Ireland and the Republic and Scotland and why people made decisions. And then I subsequently came back to Dublin, was working in another uh, merchant bank uh, and... Um, then IDA approached me and they were recruiting and they asked me, would I like to join? So I joined IDA because of my interest in foreign direct investment. And I, when I got in, IDA worked with Irish companies and foreign direct investment at that stage. And I just got more of a buzz out of working with entrepreneurs who were coming in, starting their companies. And then in 1993, the government decided to split IDA, have them just working on foreign direct investment and to set up a special agency just to deal with developing Irish companies starting them and growing them which was a very different job and I decided I wanted to work with the Irish companies so I moved into what became Enterprise Ireland and have been here ever since
0: brilliant and did you find that like working in your family business coming up along was was uh was something that kind of pushed you in the direction of wanting to get involved in Enterprise Ireland and the IDA?
1: Well, first of all, I had a very strong interest in business from the start. I mean, when you grow up in a family business, it's You eat it and drink it, you know, if there are issues, we were in the poultry business. So there might be a a disease that impacts on the, you know, 3000 poultry uh, chickens in a hen house. And you realize what happens and the impact on small businesses when you have, you know, uh, issues like that impacting on it. You're very tuned in to all of the things, be it good or bad within the business. It's discussed at the dinner table. It's part of your DNA. So it was something that I was really interested in. And I think it's why when I came into IDA, my real interest was working with Irish entrepreneurs who were giving up secure jobs and starting up their own companies. And And I just felt that they were really brave and they could make such a massive contribution to changing the towns and villages that they came from. and And my interest in them, I would say showed through, that they really knew I understood their pain that I really had lived the life of a lot of them in terms of understanding from a family business perspective so that's something that I think certainly colored my choice of career
0: definitely definitely and coming out of college obviously the IDA approached you but what did you feel your options were like um, at that stage in comparison maybe to today and, and the options that graduates might have today
1: Uh, The options at that stage for me, uh, graduating in Northern Ireland, first of all, everybody in uh, my year left the north, effectively, because there really weren't jobs available at that time. And actually, most people didn't think about world options. I think graduates today have a completely different mindset. Uh, I mean, obviously in Enterprise Ireland, we have a graduate program with 40 different offices around the world. We're bringing in young people and they're really interested in taking the opportunity to travel, to see different parts of the world. And and if they go off, some of them will come back and they'll come back with great experience, which will make a big difference. And others will go off and will never come back. And, and, And actually, those Irish people who are around the world, are really important for us in Enterprise Ireland. When we're trying to go into Japan or China or whatever, if you have Irish people in positions of authority in overseas companies, they really help the Irish companies get in. So if they come back, they bring skills back with them. And if they succeed overseas, they are very uh, committed to helping Irish companies get access to their markets. So I think uh, graduates today have a global mindset and really uh and, and of great confidence and they've seen other people really you know getting into big companies and doing very very well uh, and alternatively starting their own companies and doing well
0: definitely definitely and just on that note just with enterprise ireland can you give us just a little bit of a background as to what uh what enterprise ireland does um just yeah. in general
1: so as I said earlier, it was it's it's about growing Irish companies. So we work with startup companies. We would invest each year in about 180 new startup companies. All the money going into startups is equity. So at one stage it used to all be grants. We take equity positions. In fact, we would would be number one in Europe and number two globally. In terms of the deal flow as a seed investor into startup companies. So that's a big part of the job, managing with about 3,000 companies in our equity portfolio. An increasing amount of the money to run Enterprise Ireland every year is through us selling our investments. This is another bumper year in terms of companies uh, selling out and money coming back into us. So we're investing in startup companies. If you wanna grow global companies, you have to internationalize from the start. So we have 40 offices around the world and their job is to open doors of opportunity for Irish companies into buyers around the world. And then we're working with Irish companies on their research and development agenda, on their leadership development to make sure that they have strong teams and on their whole uh, training and development of the staff. So it's working right across the uh, funding strategy, finance, uh, etc., uh, to make sure they're as strong as possible.
0: Very interesting. And just on, on that, what would be the largest kind of sector of businesses that you work with? Would it be like food, thinking along the lines, would it be tech?
1: Food is the largest sector. The, in terms of the amount of companies we deal with, uh, like startup companies, two thirds of all the startups we do every year are tech. And a growing number of startups are like medical technology or life sciences companies spinning out of universities, which are really exciting companies. But 55% of the exports from Irish companies are food. Food is the biggest sector. Uh, It's what really drives the employment. Two thirds of the jobs in Enterprise Ireland clients are outside Dublin. And it's driven by the food sector in particular. Really, really important.
0: Cool. and uh just on on the local businesses like that because i i'm i'm not from dublin maybe you could have guessed uh what,
1: why why I are you from? I,
0: i'm from tipperary myself
1: oh I so. guess right
0: okay. yeah yeah just just on the local businesses what what do you think is the importance of the kind of local business in a in a rural area in comparison to maybe some like a, a similar business in a city or would you put a a kind of a yeah, waiting system I mean, on, on it's, them
1: it's really really important because if you're if you have a hundred jobs in you know in a small town in Ireland like that is worth multiples of that in terms of the impact in that local economy so you take food so if you you know we a, a couple of years ago supported a project for glumbia right and I think from recollection there were about maybe 75 jobs in the expansion project that we supported but there were a thousand jobs associated with it and that was Farmers all adding extra people on the land in order to be able to increase the, the milk production, you know, uh, packaging companies, transport companies, collecting the milk, delivering the milk, et cetera. So there was a massive spinoff in terms of the purchases of raw materials, wages and services within the local economy. And that is what creates the wealth, you know, in, in rural Ireland. So the impact of those small companies, one of the, uh, entrepreneurs that I dealt with in my early days in IDA was Ronnie Wilson. Now, most people in this call will never have heard of Ronnie Wilson. So, if you talk to me about uh, entrepreneurs at Monaghan Mushrooms up in Monaghan, they employ three and a half thousand people. And he was a school teacher, he came in, he was looking for an opportunity, he saw we were importing mushrooms. He now has 45 PhDs employed in Monaghan looking at the beneficial health extracts from mushrooms, which is really massively important going forward. So when you see just what the impact of three and a half thousand jobs in Monaghan is, you know, you go up into Burnford and Donegal, the the town Burnford has barely got a thousand people and there's 800 people employed in E&I engineering, you know, supplying engineering parts around the world. So the impact of these companies is massive. And And A lot of multinational companies actually want to be in cities. They want to be in Dublin. They want to be in Cork. They want to be in Limerick. And therefore, that's why, you know, going back to 1993, when uh, Jim Culleton was a guy who led a review of Irish enterprise or enterprise in Ireland. And he said, we've got brilliant multinationals, but we have to be more self-sufficient. We have to grow our own companies. And that's why Enterprise Ireland was established. And, you know, if you live in Donegal, the likelihood is if you're going to start a company, you'll start it in Donegal. So we really do need to uh, support people in towns and villages across Ireland to create employment in those towns, which will create options for people. If you want to come to Dublin, come to Dublin, but don't be forced to have to leave where you live if you don't want to, because there's no no employment in the region.
0: And how how difficult is it for you to convince those those startup companies um, to kind of stay in Donegal or, or rurally rather than move to Dublin? Like is like they could be attracted to, you know, the talent pool or there might not be the talent pool in Donegal, for instance. Um.
1: Actually, a lot of people want to to locate their company where they live, but one of the issues, and and, and you say you're from Tipperary and you're now uh, in Smurfit School, The one of the issues we find is a lot of people when they leave whatever part of Ireland they're in to study in Dublin, they typically, you know, then if they are going to start a company, they may start it in Dublin. So uh, it's more difficult. And that's why having... Uh, institutes of Technology and technological universities and colleges in places outside of Dublin is really important. So in Letterkenny and Sligo and Carlow and Waterford, these institutions are really important and doing research in them and helping with the spin out agenda to be able to, to, to have that nucleus of research happening and encourage those people to set up the, lo- the, the facility in towns outside Dublin.
0: Definitely, and I suppose the maybe a high speed high speed broadband coming into Ireland could be a factor potentially if uh, in yeah. in tech as well if if it's going to be remote working uh, could be a
1: that's right and I mean, actually that's one of the uh, I think will be one of the legacies of COVID and hopefully the only legacy but actually in terms of uh, we all were forced into working at home this massive global social experiment that we've all been forced into. And at the end of the day, it it has worked. It has. It's not without its problems, but for companies in towns and villages across Ireland, they're now saying, well, actually, we used to find it difficult to get workers, and now we'll be able to bring them from anywhere they can work remotely. For people who live in Tipperary, they can work from home a few days a week, a week and maybe have a company in Dublin that they're working in traveling up to two days a week. So I think there's going to be much greater flexibility. And I think that'll be really good for jobs in regional Ireland.
0: Definitely. Definitely. We had, we had a previous guest on, I won't name any names, but um, right. he, he, he had said, um, he had said that he, he was in traditional businesses and when he was in, when he was in traditional, he, he kept thinking, um, you know, Enterprise Ireland are giving these 500,000 euro grants to these tech startups. And he he thought at the time to be much better off to be giving, you know, maybe 105,000 euro grants to to traditional businesses. He's since moved Mm -hmm. to tech. So maybe his views have
1: switched. (laughs) Maybe, maybe so. But I was
0: just interested to know what, what way you decided on, on um, kind of giving out your budget or, or funding these companies.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, for a lot of smaller startups, they'll be dealt with in local enterprise offices all around Ireland. But to be honest, and even increasingly now with COVID, you know, if if you're starting a company and you're taking on a few employees, you know, you need like half a million is not a big amount of money. In fact, that's just an initial uh, uh, investment. And very typically, that'll be 250000 from us initially and 250000 from other investors. We're actually taking more than that 50% risk at present. And if you want sort of technology-led startups, you know, you're going to have to pay for the people to come into the companies and work in it. Now, the traditional sectors, and if you take food, the biggest checks we write are for the traditional sectors because they're capital intensive. So it's not an either-or, um, but I do think startup companies, they absolutely need, uh, you know, a, a su- sufficient funding to be able to, to get up and going. And one of the big things that I would compare Ireland and the, say the US, in the US, you're more likely to get one million, two million as a startup round. And therefore, you can focus on developing the company as opposed to constantly fundraising. So I think it's, you know, uh, I, I don't think you know 250 300,000 for a startup is a minimum amount that most of them will need and they'll be back looking for more money once they have spent that and they and and that's good. You know I think the big issue we have is we don't have enough of those startup companies that are growing to scale. We've loads of companies of scale in food and for me I'd love to see more startup companies coming back for big checks and getting and growing and continuing to be Irish companies of scale and becoming public companies, with their own destiny then in, in their hands.
0: Definitely, definitely, and obviously the the high potential startup unit in Enterprise Ireland is quite active at the moment. But what uh, what would be the kind of percentage um, win rate for those kind of companies that are that are in the high potential startup unit?
1: Uh, I would the figures that we've done on our startups are showing uh, that at least 80% of them succeed. Now, actually, you know, that is, in my view, that is too high, right? So the question that, in fact, we had a meeting yesterday, and the issue I was saying is, are we taking enough risk? We're meant to be a development agency, so we have to be encouraging startups, and failure is part of that. So, now, there's a lot of companies that don't achieve what they set out in their projections, which is a different matter. But I really do believe that... Uh, we have a very, you know, we when we invest in a startup, a lot of other people will invest alongside us because they know we have really vetted those startups and are helping them. And I think uh, it's almost a, 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 a mark of quality when Enterprise Ireland has, you've gone through that process and you have become a high potential startup. So I think we uh, we, we have a very strong success rate. And perhaps what we need to do is is do more in the higher risk stuff.
0: Interesting, and just on that note, you're obviously speaking to uh, plenty of young, enthusiastic people yep. here. So would you have any recommendations for, or where, where would you see good opportunity for starting, starting a, potentially starting a business in Ireland?
1: Well, first of all, the, so go back to where our companies are starting every, every year, about two thirds of them are in the uh, ICT software uh, services side. Financial services is very strong, the whole med tech life sciences side. And, you know, with some great like one of the programs we started a few years ago, BioInnovate, and it's in Galway. And it basically is if you want to be a a, a med tech sort of entrepreneur and you don't know what you want to do, but you are really committed, you get under a program and you go into a hospital and you're shadowing surgeons and you're actually trying to see what are their problems. And out of that, we've got fantastic startup companies really like d- delivering really good solutions uh, in the in the medical side. So I think we've, we've, we have uh, probably nine out of the 10 top multinationals in medtech. So we have a lot of spin outs coming out of the people who are working in multinational sides. There's great research going on in the universities. And the mix of those two things is creating excellent startup companies in that space. So. Areas where we would see a lot of good quality startups would be fintech, medtech, life sciences. The whole cybersecurity side, for example, is really important, particularly now with a lot more remote working. That people are concerned about the 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 security of their data. So there's lots of opportunity and really good areas of strength in Ireland in the, in, in those in those uh, activities.
0: Brilliant, I'm um... I don't know if you can name any names. What are some of the cooler companies that you're working with at the moment?
1: Well, just to take one that is, uh, is current, right? So, you know, the app uh, for people, the trace, the the track and trace app for COVID. That's a company uh, near form that's based down in Tremor. And they set up in Tremor because the guy loves surfing, right? And, He has attracted brains from all over the world because he has sold this lifestyle of surfing in Tremor. And he'd say to me, if you're coming down to visit us, come at lunchtime and we'll go surfing. I haven't actually gone yet at lunchtime, but you know, but this is, uh, and they, they weren't doing that app. They pivoted into the app when COVID started. It has been run out in Ireland and Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland in about, 20 of the US states across Europe, Australia. So that's just a simple example of somebody who saw an opportunity and transferred their expertise in, into that. Come back to the medical side, one of the companies that that uh, um, uh, we, we supported a few years ago in Galway, Aerogen. And basically what they do is they take drugs and they turn them into aerosols. Now you'd say, why would anybody want to do that? Their sales have taken off with COVID. So if you go into accident and emergency, put on a mask, and you can actually breathe in life-saving drugs, and particularly for breathing problems which COVID have caused or you know have, have created problems. So they're number one in the world in that space. Um, so just in terms of by and the the guy started up in a building site. He was he he left school at an early age. Was on a building site. And, you know, we did another company, became an engineer, saw the opportunity. So I think if people have an open mind, they actually can, there's no shortage of opportunities. That just, it's people transferring those opportunities into projects. So, I mean, those are just a couple of them. Uh, If you go into the food side, what people don't realize, I mean, Ireland is uh, one in seven babies worldwide that takes infant milk formula. It's produced in Ireland, right? In China and Asia, people pay multiples of the price of locally produced product because of the quality of the Irish product. So I think there are really great areas. Uh, Quality is something that is the, the driver. We say in Ireland, we don't follow food standards. We set them. So I think in every sector, if you, if you really aim high and focus on quality and innovation, that's the big divider. If you, if, you, if you don't have something innovative, why would anybody buy from Ireland if they're sitting in Australia? But if you come up with a problem solved that, they, that is causing a problem around the world, people will want to buy it.
0: Really interesting. Um, and I suppose just on there's a lot of sectors that you've mentioned there that I, I haven't really thought about or, or heard much yeah. about. And just as a future kind of graduate, and in, in the coming months, are there any areas like that that you that you would recommend to to kind of have a look at that are growing pretty quickly? Or are there any um, any kind of benefits to working with a smaller company like like some of the ones you've mentioned rather than going into a larger multi, multinational potentially?
1: Well, there's 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 pluses and minuses, and certainly I would be saying, I mean, I'd whatever you're going to do, uh, and you know, increasingly people are spending too many hours at work. Right, the the working week has extended. So if you really want to succeed in whatever job you go into, what I would say is you have to pick something that you really are interested in and that you love. <clears throat> so if you go back to me choosing you know, the whole foreign direct investment and the whole uh, investment in companies and and, uh, development side, which is why you pick that as a thesis, but you have a really strong interest in it. And then, you know, if you're working, you're actually enjoying doing what you're doing. And you're, you know, it's something that you have a lot of interest in. Uh, So I would be choosing a sector that I really think is interesting, as opposed to, you know, so there are lots of people that I meet uh, in business and in different roles and they have followed because they got X points in their leave and they're leaving. They did this course and then they have gone on to do whatever the, the professional qualification is. And they actually hit every day that they are spending in the office and they sort of see it as a check at the end of the week. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with a check at the end of the week. But actually, if you enjoy doing what you're doing, it is something which is massively uh, different in terms of working every day of the week. I always go back to uh, about 20 years ago, I remember being on a training program and the guy looking at the course, we were all about 40 and he turned around and he said, took out this bit of red string and he said, oh, you're all about 40. So half your life and this string is your life. And he said, oh, half your life is over. So he cut the string and he says, and you're going to sleep eight hours a day, roughly. So he cut a third off what's left. So he said, this is your waking life, right? And if you enjoy doing what you're doing in your job, this is what you've left. And if you're spending every day in a job that you don't enjoy, this is what's left, and that small bit of string always stood in my mind. So I would actually be saying you have to be doing something that you're inter- that you love, and I think that shows through in 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 your choice of it. And so if you go into a company and you find it isn't for you, it's not that you just throw it in, but you actually it might take you a couple of jobs to find something that you're particularly interested in. Uh, but I'd be picking the sector, and that's one of the things. Uh, Obviously, we have a graduate program in Enterprise Ireland. Company, people coming in on that graduate program, they're working with companies, you know, the best of Irish companies across a lot of sectors. And they very often will find out by the end of this, well, I definitely know I don't want to work in that sector or I'm really interested in this. So it gives them a great insight into different sectors. Uh, So I, I would be picking a sector that uh, is future looking right in terms of but also that you have an interest in being involved in and I and, and I think then that's where you will perform at your best and and be more likely to be successful
0: definitely definitely and that's one that's kind of one option I suppose for graduates is going into uh, into a job and then the other option would probably be starting your own company which yeah. if you would probably take but I know you've done a lot of work in recent years, um, particularly on female entrepreneurship. And I was just wondering if you could elaborate on on kind of what work that involved and the importance of female entrepreneurship in Ireland, I suppose.
1: Okay, well, so I go back to uh, about 2011. And at that stage when when I was working with startups, uh, we were supporting about a hundred startups a year and there's roughly two or three people involved in the startup team. So if you say that roughly was 250 entrepreneurs we were working with a year, and on a good year, there were seven females, right? So really, uh, and I don't need to tell any of the females on this call that that had nothing to do with ability. So we started looking at what was the issue. And you know the issues that we identified, first of all, was access to finance, Uh, role models apparently women are about three times more influenced by role models and the fact that there were not uh, role models in the system really exacerbated the problem ambition and confidence were issues and you hear all these cliches you know if a if a a man looks at at a job spec and he's got five out of ten things he's he that, that are required he'll say that job was made for me. If a woman is nine out of 10, she'll say, I'd never get that. I don't have that. Now, like those are all sort of cliches. But what we actually found was, uh, and when, we, when I look across all of our projects from males and females, typically uh, uh, the male project will say, I'll achieve that. And they will achieve less than it. The woman project will say, I'll achieve that. They'll achieve more than it, but they'll achieve less than the, the male projects. Right. So that lack of ambition and confidence has held back because you constantly are setting a level and achieving it. And perhaps it's driven by attitudes to failure, et cetera. But I really think so. We addressed each of those issues. The good news is at present our uh, high potential startups. It's about 22 percent of those are female. Uh, the global figure for technology entrepreneurs is 8% female. So this isn't just an Irish problem. And I think, you know, we have done a lot of work, but and I don't think you can over-exaggerate the impact of the role model piece. And it was interesting uh, uh, 10 days ago when Kamala Harris did her, uh, her, her, her first speech as the, the vice uh, president-elect and talked about, Seeing yourself in a way that other people may not see you. So I think there is a bit about dreaming and having the view and having the confidence. And you know, uh, I often uh, use the 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 line from Henry Ford: "If you think you can, or if you think you're ca- you you can you're right." So if you convince yourself you can't do something, and you know, I, I don't know whether you watch the Grand Prix race last weekend and Lewis Hamilton when he when he won and he made a brilliant speech, which I'm sure will go down in the in the history books, but he was just talking about the dream and dreaming the impossible and speak the dream. And uh, and 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 speak it into existence was really was was his words, which I thought was absolutely brilliant for somebody who's just done so many tracks around a Grand Prix racetrack, and like never gave up and chased the dream. And you can just see the amount of passion about what he wants to do. So I it goes back to if you really want something, go for it and and make sure that you that that you will achieve it. So I think. The, the whole role model piece a Lewis Hamilton is, you know, is making it okay for black people to become Formula One racing car drivers. There aren't too many others on the track. So I, I think for female entrepreneurs, the real value that they have on the next generation is is normalizing that it's, it's an acceptable choice for a woman to set up uh, a technology startup, to set up and this year's entrepreneur of the year if you watched it uh last week a ucd graduate uh uh nicola mitchell somebody who i studied with when i did my mba and like again when she when she uh when she made her speech at the end of it she talked about uh dreaming right and dream big and go for it was was uh what nicola uh, uh talked about when when she did it so i really do think you have to have big aspirations and the confidence. And actually you asked me earlier, Simon, about graduates today. And the graduates today have the confidence to go for it. And that means that you won't always succeed. But so what? Like failure is, as long as you learn from it, it's not life shattering. Uh, and, and, and that's something that I think in Ireland, we traditionally have had a poor attitude to failure. And I certainly think we need to, to, uh see it as a normal part of business and startups people will fail and then they learn from the failure and they come back and they're stronger the second time.
0: Definitely really good answer and you mentioned role models a good few times just during during that and did you have any kind of growing up or anyone you aspired to to be when you were kind of on your own career? No
1: not, not really. I mean the people who uh when when I was growing up that I uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, when you look back now, and you see people like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and all these people, they're brilliant entrepreneurs, but they're so far away from you in terms of that, like that. Uh, uh, and the people that that I, uh, you know, in in when I worked in uh, IDA in the early stages with startups and throughout. It's It was people that I actually met every day of the week, like Ronnie Wilson, who ends up having the number one mushroom company worldwide. Taking you know, people that, like Neil McHugh, another guy who left, uh, uh, and I spent a lot of my time in food. So somebody who, who left Quinsworth, which became uh, Tesco and starts up a pizza factory and becomes the number two supplier in the UK market. And they just are completely driven and obsessed by believing there is a better way of doing something and they will go for it obviously you know in recent years uh traveling with irish entrepreneurs uh, you know and i've that is the real luxury of my job to be with these people and just see them succeed globally which is absolutely fantastic but you also meet so you know when we were in china a couple of years ago and uh, and met say Jack Ma in Alibaba. And when you see within the Chinese culture for somebody like Jack Ma, who was an English teacher and suddenly starts this massive trading thing. And he is, you know, and then he's now moving on to his next project. So I I certainly get a buzz out of uh, dealing with these people and working with them and feeling their energy. And one thing I always talk about in Enterprise Ireland is energy. I've never met anybody who left me neutral. They either give me energy or suck the energy out of me. And actually, you know, and typically entrepreneurs are really driven, passionate people who have a vision and are prepared to put everything on the line to go for that vision. And they're really energizing to work with.
0: Brilliant. And speaking of energy and working with people, you with Enterprise Ireland, you're a CEO. Of, I think there's over 800 staff working with Enterprise Ireland. I'm just wondering what what it's like to be over 800 people and how do you kind of keep tabs on each different department and maybe empower all your employees when, it, when it's that, that large an organization?
1: That's a good question because actually, and I I, I remember um, uh, uh, about ten years ago, uh, I went to uh, the great luxury of spending a summer uh, in Stanford in California uh, on their executive program, which was on on the leadership side. And when the, there was one of the guys who that's his, headed up IBM. And I can't remember the figures, but I think he might have 24,000 people at the time when he when he said this. And and he was talking about, you know, at the end of the day, he said, I could leave my strategic plan on the seat on the plane. And I wouldn't be worried if my competitor found it, because actually uh, it is all about uh, the the passion and uh, sort of. Influencing the people in the company because you can't watch everybody. I can't see 800 people in Enterprise Ireland in 40 locations around the world every day of the week. So, the only hope I have of achieving success in Enterprise Ireland is about inspiring the people, particularly all around the world, about what we're trying to achieve and enthusing them. And then, when they achieve something, recognizing it. So, it is about Setting out that vision and talking and living it. And, you know, at the end of the day, people see through you if you're not authentic in that. Like we all have talked and worked with people who said, do this, and they did the opposite. And, you know, at at times people talk about the shadow of the leader, and which is the influence. Like when you're gone, you leave a shadow, and people actually, they really can read what you're doing. So, in my view, Uh, As as somebody with 800 people in 40 different locations around the world, the only way I can do it is by spending the time making sure. So every week now in lockdown, every Friday morning, I will do a video to staff talking about what we achieved this week because everybody is really working their butt off. We have just uh, so much work happening with uh, the uh, the uh, sustaining enterprise fund with people suffering from COVID, people with liquidity problems, with extra committees, everybody is assessing applications, working with people, people overseas, trying to bridge the gaps. So there's loads of things that you know are extra work on top of the thing. And if if staff don't feel that anybody even notices what they're doing, if they feel you don't care, it's not important. So it's really about making sure that people can see the link between what they are doing and what EI is achieving and that they feel part of it and that you recognize what they're doing and reaching out just to different people to to say thank you. It doesn't actually, it's not, there's no uh, rocket science in it. It is actually just being clear about what we're all trying to do, what everybody is contributing to it and recognizing people when they, when they
0: do a good job. That's really good advice. Um... You, you touched on one of the issues there, but there's a few issues facing kind of Enterprise Ireland and Irish businesses uh, in, well, there's some here now and some coming coming soon in, in COVID and Brexit, but how difficult do you think it'll be for for Enterprise Ireland and Irish businesses to navigate through some of these issues, um, you know, maybe in the medium term?
1: Right. Well, obviously, um, we're all, Uh, frantically watching uh, the the news over the next 10 days in the UK to see is there a deal or is there not a deal. If there isn't a deal, I mean, the UK is our biggest export market from an Irish enterprise perspective. Um, uh, If I go back 10 years ago, 45% of total exports from Irish companies went into the UK. Today, it is uh, 31%. Now, we've continued to grow our exports into the UK, but the strategy has been to grow the rest of the world at a faster rate, right? So that is great progress to see it now down to 31%. Um, And, you know, the UK is still our number one market. It will be our number one market. Uh, If we, so just to take, I mean, and you hear a lot about hard Brexit, soft Brexit, does it actually really make a difference? If you take cheddar cheese, so... Just our our beef, you know, uh, uh, if you take the biggest market, the biggest single product into the UK, and our exports into the UK from Irish companies about seven and a half billion. One billion of that is beef. And if we had a hard Brexit tomorrow, or on the 31st of December, the the tariffs on beef would add in excess of 50% to the cost of beef. So if you're a British consumer and you can buy british beef and it's 10 euros and irish beef and it's 15 euros you know it's really going to be massively damaging now obviously that's why this hard deal the same for cheddar cheese uh you know that's and and the options around that are number one we try to negotiate away from a hard deal but secondly uh you've investments in cheddar cheese companies to make mozzarella cheese and use it in pizzas and sell it in Europe and do it in different things. So there's massive investment in mozzarella plants while your cheddar plant is sitting empty. So these are big decisions for Irish companies. And, uh, so the food side in particular will be significantly impacted if there was a hard Brexit, uh, COVID, uh, Depending on whether there's a vaccine, we're all very optimistic. Uh, I think the, the 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 news in the last 10 days is good. So it's a matter of, uh, like if you have, if you have a few different options of bar, uh, vaccines, um, uh, it will impact. I mean, it'll take a while before that feeds through, but at least you can see the end of the issues that we've all had to face. So I think it's going to be very challenging. The good news is, though, when you see we've gone from 45% in the UK down to 31%, we've grown our position in different markets. We've done it through innovation. So what we have is probably the most innovative group of great companies that I've dealt with throughout my career. So in terms of seeing the you know, the ability of companies to to take on the challenge and to diversify and to go into new markets is something which would encourage me that... It's not all going to be doom and gloom. You have all the aerogens and the the near forms that I talked about earlier that have pivoted. They've found opportunities despite COVID, and they've gone on to substantially grow their businesses.
0: Definitely, and there could be could be potentially some silver lining in the fact that we could be the the only uh, native English speaking company or country. We will be the the only,
1: we will be the only English speaking uh, country in the EU, uh, and IDA have got substantial new projects, people who would have come in and the UK was a big competitor. And now they're saying, well, will we go to the UK or will we go to Ireland? And actually Irish people travel very well. So when people are coming to Ireland and look at it for foreign direct investment, you know, we get on well with people. It is part of our DNA. We, you know, there there are good relationships with countries around the world that are good sources of of FDI. So, uh, I think uh, Brexit will be very good on the, you know, things like financial services, all those sectors, the, the, the uh, projects are flowing into Ireland.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, I might just ask, we're getting towards the end of it, so if anyone has any questions, um, if they want to, uh, throw them into the chat. But we'll go with second last question here. Um, did you ever have uh, an itch to start your own business, given your given your expertise in SMEs?
1: Uh there were a few times I saw projects and I said, I, "I like that." I really felt, "Oh God, I should have done that." So I've, I've, I've uh, a few times I was tempted, and I didn't. Uh, and if, if I was turning the clock back, I'd say uh, I, I, I would today. And it's not too late yet. I mean, I, I'm, uh, but at the same time, uh, I, 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 I certainly feel uh, I've always enjoyed. And the big issue I've had is. that has kept me in enterprise ireland is i just have loved every day that i've worked which is fantastic and because it's such a large organization you know at one stage i worked with the food sector another time i'm running the equity portfolio another time you're working with all the startup companies so there's been great variation in the different roles that i've done throughout that time
0: definitely yeah yeah no it's interesting uh, and just last question before I open it up to the floor. Um, do you have any book recommendations for um, for people listening in tonight?
1: Well, uh, and I, I take it you're looking for some business book recommendations. Whatever,
0: uh, get it, whatever you want, whatever you want. <laughs> <different>, like, <good laughs> well, I'll tell is. you
1: what, one of the guys and he has come over and I, and he's done some work with us. And uh, I mean, to me, and I'm a real, uh, believer in the difference that the leader can make in terms of driving performance and like that is in every sphere I really do think that uh, somebody the, the, the power of that uh, leadership team in terms of doing it are the power of, a, of a, an entrepreneur to really go for it so f- for example if you take an entrepreneur uh, if if uh, any of you are interested in a good book about a good entrepreneur shoe dog uh, by Phil Knight from Nike that is a really and you know it was he he was on the bread line for so long uh, as an entrepreneur uh, and you know they were literally scrimping to have food on the table and now looking back on it people think well it always was easy but it wasn't um the, but I was going to say one of the guys who's done a lot of work with us is is uh, a, a Welsh guy called Gareth Jones, and uh, he's written books like Why Should Anyone Be Led by You, and they're all really uh, practical. In fact, uh, I'm just looking. And one, uh, well, haven't read this one yet, but uh, Why Should Anyone Work Here? Right, and it's all about questioning and he's 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 pretty uh dis- they're, they're really good reads just in terms of and if you get the opportunity to hear him presenting he's really really good obviously books in terms of because i do think it's the people who make a difference there's and there's small things which make a difference between a good company and a great company so books like you know jim collins good to great again they're great uh uh, uh Uh, stories of how the leader by influencing small things can really make a difference uh, within the company. And like moving away from business, a book I read earlier this year uh, on called the choice and it's, it's uh, and it's, it's, it's been a bestseller. It's a true story. Uh, And I, I particularly enjoy reading true stories of where people have had hardship and they come through it. And Edith Eager was in the concentration camps in germany and she's now a psychotherapist in the states and it's not about the issues that you face in life but it's the choices you make when you're faced with these issues as to how how you go so those are those are a few things that just are top of uh, top of my head
0: brilliant recommendations there and um, we might just i might just start by asking a couple of the q a questions um to finish off um, so for this one's from, uh, Niall Diffley, what, uh, from a food business point of view, uh, are there any markets or areas that you think have yet to be exploited either nationally or internationally?
1: Well, uh, first of all, um, on the, uh, the markets, I mean, the, this the, if you look at where food is going, uh, in terms of the whole higher functional side, uh, you know, like we're very good at infant milk formula. If you take the milk side, But, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity in Ireland in things like geriatric nutrition and sports nutrition and all of these areas. Uh, People are much more concerned about the sustainability of food. So, you know stuff which is really uh, good quality food and convenience so i think there's a lot of opportunity in the whole vegetarian side it's not that we're all going to become vegetarians necessarily but i think and um, you hear the term flexitarianism where you'll be a couple of days a week uh, not eating meat and other and i think there's some really nice projects in, in in those areas and i think what we've done in china on the infant milk formula side there's potential across other parts of asia um and you know i and we've focused largely in the uk market i think europe has more opportunity uh for based on the quality of our food for at the the upper end of the market
0: really interesting um just another one here uh how does Julie juggle running a family and being a mother whilst also being very a very successful leader at Enterprise Ireland? Obviously the role of a woman has changed for the better over the last 60 years, but Julie has to, has to maintain a work-life, ba- a work-life balance. Uh, when it comes to looking after her children, so very concerned listening just, to
1: that. just in case my husband is listening here and, and actually i' actually I I, I, I I i'm not joking when I do give this answer because you you know at the end of the day when you have uh, children they don't bring up themselves, so you do need to work those things out and I had a couple of things that I was really lucky first of all uh, when i when my daughter uh, was to, I, I found a child minder who was fantastic. And she was with me for 20 plus years. So childcare is an issue for any, uh, uh, family I, but I also think the sharing of responsibility so I when I go back to the school I used to go to and talk to any of the girls in the school I'd say listen girls you need to pick the right husband you need to pick somebody who actually believes as much in you as you believe in yourself because there is a need to share it and like you know you can't and I didn't come into this job until seven years ago, by which stage my children were more grown up and I was had the freedom to be able to, to travel the world uh, and not have the family responsibilities that I would have had a few years earlier. But you do need between yourself and your partner and and your child mind to, to sort those things out, because if you're at work and you're looking at your watch and you're thinking, oh, my God, such and such is happening um, you know, it, it is a pressure for everybody. So I think there's a bit of balance required within the family situation. And and having that uh, supportive husband is really, really important. So there you go.
0: Definitely, definitely. And uh, just last question before we leave it maybe. Um, what impact has sustainab- the sustainability trend had on Enterprise Ireland, if any?
1: Um, the sustainability trend is uh, certainly... There are lots of opportunities now with some great companies that are uh, uh, succeeding in this, sort of, let me call things like, say, energy efficiency uh, globally uh, uh, based from Ireland and being able to, to succeed in that side. So I think it's an area of opportunity. I think it's largely an area of untapped opportunity. I think Ireland as a country, Are recognised for being green. I don't think we're necessarily as green as people think we are environmentally, uh, but we still have a reputation for it. And I think that we have some really good companies, and I think it's a sector which is going to grow considerably going forward. So I think the whole sustainable agenda, it also will impact in a challenging way the biggest sector that we have is food. And the sustainability agenda is something uh, which. Uh, We need to be careful about Uh, one of the companies that I do some work with uh, Devonish and basically uh, they're in animal feedstuffs, but they're doing absolutely brilliant work uh, in uh, experimenting with different types of uh, more sustainable pasture land, uh, which is able to produce food without the same damage to the environment. So I think we need to rethink a lot of the things that we do and how we do them and I, I see the whole sustainability agenda. First of all, we can produce milk much more sustainably than every other country in the world except New Zealand. So I think we have advantages on that side, which consumers increasingly will be and in, are interested in. Um, but I also think we need to uh, to take steps to, to be as green as we need to be and i think there's there's there are issues in Ireland that we need to address but there're also big opportunities
0: brilliant uh, i think we might leave it there we're coming up to the to the hour mark but um just Julie, if anyone wants to to maybe get in touch or find out a bit more about Enterprise Ireland, I know probably a lot of the people listening tonight have applied to um, to your grad program. But is there any other? It's, the
1: be- it's it's the best graduate program in the world, can I tell you that uh, <laughs> it's avail. It is a fantastic, You know, you say to me if I was starting off today, I'd definitely begin into a graduate program like that and availing of the opportunities because the graduates that join us, uh, first of all, a group joins and there's a great camaraderie between them but they are they are thrown in at the deep end in offices all around the world working with great companies they get fantastic experience and and i see them then subsequently going from strength to strength in different jobs so uh it's uh, it's a great opportunity
0: and that's the unbiased view is
1: it <laughs> totally no it's it's totally objective <laughs> <laughs>
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I'm sure a lot of people will be checking that out, out after this talk. So, um, again, thanks a million for your time and uh, best Good of luck. luck. Uh, Good future. luck
1: with all your studies, guys. Well done and lovely talking to you, Simon. Thanks a lot.